What if I told you that SD-WAN has a scaling problem? Tunnels. Yeah, if you've dug into SD-WAN architecture, you know that most, I mean, not all, but most of the SD-WAN solutions out there today are in overlay fabric. And by overlay, I mean tunnels. Tunnels on top of the physical LAN and WAN circuits connecting the infrastructure together. Now, Tunnels don't come for free. There's encapsulation and decapsulation that has to happen for every packet. There's encryption with all of the authentication and math implied. And of course, there's the performance monitoring of the tunnel fabric. And our sponsor today isn't suggesting that all of what the networking industry has built in SD-WAN over the last decade goes away. But the team behind Graphiant knows SD-WAN well, really well. And they learned some things building what we might call SD-WAN Gen 1. They've taken those lessons to create Graphiant. As an SD-WAN Gen 2, if you allow me to be a little bit provocative. Now, we've gotten used to SD-WAN, and it's become commonplace in many organizations. And now here's Graphiant to rethink what was wrong with SD-WAN the first time around. Joining us for a discussion today is Ali Sheikh. Ali is the Chief Product Officer at Graphiant, and he knows how the product works at a deep level, very deep. Ali, welcome to Heavy Networking, and, and man, let's jump right into this thing. Introduce to the nice people listening, what is the Graphiant Network Service? Thanks for having me, and let's get into it. So the Graphiant Network Service is meant to be a network service that provides private connectivity to customers, without having to build tunnels to all of their sites, to all of the clouds, to all of their business partners. The idea being consume the network, subscribe to the network as a service, rather than building your own mesh of tunnels all over the place. And that is the shortest version of that that I can <laughs> tell you. <laughs> and it's provocative right from the get-go, actually, you say, uh, without having to build a mesh of tunnels, because some that are SD-WAN users today would would point back at you and go, but Ali, I don't have to build my, uh, the tunnels. The SD-WAN uh, product that I'm using, it builds the tunnels for me. I don't even have to think about them, really. What would you say to that person? What would I say to that person is essentially... That's not entirely true. You are having to think about all of those tunnels. You are having to look at the telemetry, every BFD probe, every metric that has been generated by it, every alert that it generates. You are having to think about that. You are having to think about your policy constructs. What tunnel do you go on? What uh, tunnel measurement do you need to go on? Which route is preferred over which path? And then the moment you add in additional services, whether you're going to the cloud or to a colo, if you want to use SDCI, if you want to use a third-party security service, an SSE, if you will, you're building a tunnel. And your policy landscape is exactly where you're having to deal with the tunnel. So I may say, you know, you're not having to figure out what Ike v2 configuration you need to set up, sure. But your policy landscape tells you how many tunnels you're dealing with. Hmm. Another thing that you said in your description of the Graphiant network service is consuming the network as a service. So does that mean, is this a, a NAS offering, network as a service? Yes, it is. We wanted to look at the lessons of what we had done in the past and realize, why do we have different license tiers in SD-WAN? What is the point of that? Um, why do we force people to do unusual things? And if you look at the cloud models, it's very much around consumption. Let's legitimately say you consume the network as a service. You're not paying for different feature tiers. Pay purely for what you consume. So purely for what, what I consume then, are you? is it like a metered consumption offering? 
when we wanted to look at the difference of how we do this metered consumption was it is a metered consumption, but it is not the metered consumption if you automatically think of cloud providers where it's charging you on the per bit basis. That gets very, very expensive and very messy. Mm -hmm. We are networking people. We don't think about per egress charges. We think about sustained 95th percentile capacity usage. Like what's the mm -hmm. megabit per second? What's the gigabit per second that I use? Right. When I buy an internet connection, I'm getting a one gig connection to my house. I'm not thinking about how much video did I download. And, and, and so when you say consumption, but not by the bit, but it almost sounded like, and yet by the bit, you're talking about the 95th percentile, which a lot of us network engineers would look at and kind of understand that metric. Um, are you are you like giving me a maximum amount of bandwidth that I can use per pipe, something like that? That's exactly right. We're giving you a slice of a pipe and saying, whatever you do with that pipe, that pipe is yours to use. And we're going to bill you for the slice of the pipe. Okay. You also mentioned private. Are we then talking about, I assume you're not, you know, pulling a, a fiber line right to my location uh, and I'm getting that dedicated. You said a slice of a pipe. So that implies to me some level of encryption or some other mechanism uh, for privacy. So two parts to private, you're absolutely right. End-to-end -end encryption, without a doubt, we, I mean, we fundamentally make the, the definitive statement to say we are not going to decrypt traffic in transit. So the encryption keys are never exposed. You're not terminating what would strictly be a tunnel decryption event in the middle mile. So private end-to-end -end in that way. And the second way that it is private is that the infrastructure gets built out over private connections as well to deliver this stateless core. So we have you know, lots of different private carriers, private microwave, private layer two that you can actually leverage. So you are getting a feel, a taste of what you used to get with MPLS without the very, the, the, the things we associate with MPLS. So like a long provisioning time, difficulty in monitoring, worrying about SLAs, that kind of MPLS stuff. Exactly. The, the provisioning time, I think we all know very, very painfully how long that can be. And so here the idea is, if you think about how cloud infrastructure, it's already there and you start consuming it. The idea with the graphene network is the core is already built. It's already there. The private connectivity between them has already been set up. So you just subscribe and start using it. You're not having to order can you connect city one to city two? So Graphene then I assume has gone out and done all of the, you know, essential but sort of uh, time consuming and difficult work of getting connectivity from a variety of carriers, presumably in the US across the globe. And you mentioned a variety of different transport mechanisms too, microwave and so on. That's exactly right. And when you look at a lot of the people who have made lots of investments in this area, I mean, people have done a lot of work in laying down their own fiber. There's a lot of layer one, layer two. But the thing you don't see is end-to-end -end layer three service. You end up getting dragged back into MPLS or SD-WANs. And so a lot of people who you might think are our competitors, surprisingly, are not. They are very much our partners in that they already built a lot of infrastructure and said to us, looks like you're doing the layer three problem no one else wants to do. So let's partner up. Hmm. Okay. 
You said middle mile, and we've been talking network as a service. So all of a sudden, it's coming together in my head that what this offering is, is very different from SD-WAN in that the traditional SD-WAN was boxes. where You're going to put a box, you're going to have circuits, we're going to build tunnel overlay between the plethora of boxes that you've scattered around to all your different sites. And it's an overlay typically across the internet or the internet and a combination of private MPLS circuits, maybe direct connect circuits and, and that kind of thing. Graphian is not that from what I'm hearing from you. Graphian is a connection. It's a it's a network you've already built. I on-ramp to it, and then I'm routing through the Graphian network to get out to the other side. Is that what I'm hearing? That's a very good way of describing it. And it also stems from, it, I, I was involved in a lot of SD-WAN implementations over the last 10 years. And I can tell you, I got tired of trying to manage tunnels. I got very, very tired of stitching up boxes and if a customer said, well, I need a mesh in this region, you can't imagine what kind of design activity that turned into just to figure out, well, how are we going to mesh that region? And if someone would tell me, well, what about dynamic tunnels? I'm like, do you realize like the operational overhead that comes with dynamic tunnels and every single alert that that thing generates? So this whole thing was a, a consequence of how do I stop living that real painful experience? and just consume a network that's built, literally just on-ramp onto a network that's already there. But that's what service providers have been giving us with MPLS forever, right? I mean, that we're arguing, it's almost like we're coming back home again. Oh, we're back to MPLS, <laughs> but, but, but we're not. What's different here? Well, well, one part I would say is the pendulum always swings back, right? We, we go from <laughs> building, whether you look all the way back to frame relay and ATM, it just keeps swinging back and forth. I would say... To the question that you raise around, are service providers providing that? In a way, that was what MPLS should have been doing or should have been evolving to, which is start eliminating all of this configuration overhead, this operational overhead, this massive change backlog that gets created. We want peer-to-peer -peer connectivity and we want programmability and we want visibility. Well, okay, MPLS can kind of give you the first one, but not the others. It doesn't let mm -hmm. you program the infrastructure in any way, shape or form. And visibility, you're kind of dependent on whatever the service provider is willing to show you. Or you go get a whole bunch of probing tools and then get the SPs very uncomfortable that you're probing their network. So this was the whole idea of how do I stop thinking about the network as a rigid thing that has to be configured and provisioned over and over? How do I make it so that the end user can program the path they want through this infrastructure and consume it? as they would. Okay, you've highlighted yet another difference here. With most network as a service products, I send traffic into it and I need it to come out the other side. And I don't worry too much about what's in the middle, but it feels like you're giving me more control. And you've been using the word programmable. So dive into that. What do you mean programmable? When I think about this, if I use an analogy here, I'll say I'm trying to create like a network that's Netflix style where I can give you, hey, there's a layer two connection. There's an internet connection. There's dark fiber. What would you like to use for your application if you care that deeply about it? Or do you just want to fire and forget it? I know a lot of enterprise, a lot of customers get very sensitive. They want to have that level of control. When we talk about programmability, if I've eliminated a lot of configuration from this middle mile, the only way to interact with it is in a programmable fashion, which means you have to interact via an API to say, do this, set this in the, the metadata, set this in the header so that 
rather than configuring customer policy, I'm converting all of that via API into a couple of bits into metadata that the network knows how to interpret without ever exposing the customer's actual data. I get very paranoid about having customer data exposed in my environment. I don't want that liability. I don't want to see anyone's stuff. I just want to know how you would like to get it serviced from point A to point B. And I will take it from point A to point B. It feels like you just said segment routing or maybe going back in time a little further source routing because you were talking about metadata that I would I would pop into the header. And maybe you as the provider don't care about the payload that I'm sending. You care about the instructions that are in that metadata. Um, am I on the right track here? You are on the right track. If we look back over the history of, I mean, segment routing, label switching, and VPNs, all of that taught us what we needed to do and what we needed to avoid. Segment routing is not an easy thing for, for your average network user to implement, much less a, an enterprise to consume and figure out how they're going to do it. But it showed us that there were extendability capabilities that we could put into the network without overloading it with state. So we took those lessons. We looked at label switching and thought, okay, well, what are some of the things that we've not done exactly right in IP networking, which is, I mean, a lot of it so right now. Sorry, well, critiquing like an MPLS label stack, you know, what if, if that gives us a set of instructions of how to move this packet through the network, you know, what would we do differently? Something like that? I, I would say the MPLS label stack, if you think about how restrictive it is, it's just, you know, route targets and route distinguishers. So we're just creating routing context, but we're not adding any additional logic to it. Hmm. There's no other metric that you can add to that stack as it currently stands. Segment routing gave you a whole bunch of ways that you could add more. But to set up segment routing was a whole Herculean effort as well. How do we make it so that someone, an end user who doesn't have to be super in the know of how label switching and segment routing works, can benefit from everything we've learned and developed over the last 20, 30 years? So in their mind, the end user's mind is, I have a policy. That policy gets converted by control plane into metadata. That gets programmed into data plane. And now the entire network fabric knows what to do with it without us having to teach a whole new generation of people everything about label switching and segment routing. Well, you just cleared up another point that I had, which was, no, no, wait a minute, do I have to know what metadata to be populating in and do some kind of you know, magic? And it sounds like, no, you've abstracted that a level away from me. I'm writing policy. Your control plane will worry about how to populate the metadata and the specifics of that, right? That's exactly right. Because I mean, the world that we're heading towards is a, it's a much more DevOps-centric world. And, you know, you hear shift left and you hear all these kinds of terms, but the whole idea from, from a networking standpoint, right? We, we're in like a crosshairs, we get blamed for everything and not enabling application developers to go faster. But the idea eventually became for us is if we hollow out the network and remove all this state, we're essentially going to turn to the application people and the DevOps people. Here's an API. It tells the network what you want to do and the network will do it. Stop telling me to configure all kinds of ACLs in the network. Mm. Yeah, so can we get more, I think, specific about what it is I'm able to program? Are we talking about performance levels? Are we, am I able to pick a specific path through the network, a specific kind of underlay that I want my traffic to go over, that kind of thing? In terms of the level of customization that you can have and what can be set here, we are looking at identity. So we want to be able to identify the edge itself organizations, lines of business, quality of service, underlay path, and even geopolitical considerations that now, because we're 
spanning all these boundaries, we now have to keep in mind, well, are you in country? Are you out of country? Because sometimes you're in region, your country path may conflict with the most optimal quality path. Who wins in that argument? Well, technically compliance overrules performance when that kind of event happens. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able to define those parameters to say, these are the rule sets. We have enough bits in the header to say, could we add additional things like user identity, like other application parameters? Sure. So there's reserved bits for those kinds of things. We've all learned that lesson as well. Um, but this is this is where it comes from is how do we make sure that we don't have to load IP information into this and we can actually use actual metadata-centric information around application, quality of service, path, country compliance levels, which region in, which region out, all those parameters. You mentioned identity. Are you talking about just at a, at a high level customer identity or it sounds like you can't get down to the user yet? We, we don't do the, the user level at this point in time. What we've done is built a framework so that when someone shows up and says, we want to integrate some kind of identity piece, we have the ability to extend that. Because I know inevitably someone's going to ask me, well, what about SGTs? And what about integrating it into identity management system? Like I don't mm-hmm. want to reinvent the wheel. I'd rather just take my extendability and, and integrate. You mentioned stateless, and I'm thinking about all the metadata things that decisions that would need to be made by the forwarders inside the middle mile. I'm not going to see that as the consumer of the service, but Graphian's going to see that. When you say stateless, are you saying Graphian doesn't have state in their in the middle mile network that you guys have that I'm consuming or that I don't have to worry about state on my end as the, as the consumer? It's a combination of both. The first one to think about is let's first define what is the state and that'll help us know where it is and where it's not. If we define state as, can I see the customer data payload or any data payload? Well, in the graphing network, you can't because there's no decryption event. And so I do not have state information of your payload. I couldn't see anything. Do I have state of your actual internal IP addressing structure inside the middle mile? No, I do not because it's not an IP networked environment. So I have no visibility of your internal addressing structure of your network. So no state there. Do I have any state of your QoS configuration or policy or rule set? Again, none in the Graphene middle mile. So I don't know anything about your internal LAN. What I do know is what you want from my network. That is what I can see is to say, so strictly speaking, it's not state. I'm not having to build stateful entries on my middle mile. What I am seeing is a request in the metadata header that says, service this traffic in this way. And I label forward it, I packet switch it all the way through to the end without having to all the way pop off all the labels, decrypt, re-encrypt, do multiple levels of route lookup. I avoid all of that. So I, I'm not even really having to have discussions about crypto offload and any of that kind of stuff. There is no crypto offload that I need to do. Well, it, it feels like segment routing in that sense, in that um, there is no state in a segment routed network. It's just you're just pushing a label stack through and it's being forwarded uh, one label at a time as it moves its way through the through the segment route that's been defined somewhere out at the edge you know, before that packet ever entered the core. So it, feel, it feels like that. Is that fair? That's fair. It is fair. I mean, you know, I'm one of those people I don't like to, to dismiss all the prior technologies. Everything is built on the past. So we've learned from everything that segment routing has achieved as well. 
So I know, you, man, I know it gets philosophical. People get really sensitive about their particular <laughs> protocol that they're very much in love with. <laughs> Don't mess with my protocols. <laughs> uh, so you've built this essentially private network. How then do I, as a customer, get my traffic onto that network? The way we bring uh, our customers on board at this point in time, there's multiple flavors. One is obviously virtual machines. People are able to spin up VMs on servers, white boxes, what have you. We have cloud access points, which means you can come in over both TGW, VWAN, or if you wanted to, if you really, really wanted to, direct connects, express routes. But we still see a lot of VMs as well. And sorry, TGW, that's uh, AWS's Transit Gateway. That's right, AWS Transit Gateway. Uh, Google has their network cloud center, NCC, mm -hmm. so all these different acronyms. Private access into the cloud, again, people trying to avoid tunnels into lots of VMs into the cloud. So that's that's a certain pathway. And then, of course, because of the nature of there are no green fields, everything needs to migrate in some shape or form, we end up having appliances as well that, mm -hmm. again, you know, generic off-the-shelf x86-based appliances that can be loaded up with software. We don't build hardware. Let me say that right now before someone calls me and says, do you build hardware? I'm like, no, I do not build hardware. Okay, but if I feel comfortable with like a retail location and I want to ship a box out to that location, you're working with, uh, I guess, OEMs to put your software onto a box that can be shipped. That's exactly right. Okay. And then so that, I don't know if we call it the first mile or last mile where I'm getting a network connection to that box, then onto your network, what do my, do I have options there? This is where we're doing a couple of things. One, we are we have you know internet connectivity in region with a lot of those, so we are trying to optimize how quickly we can get you into our network. Mm -hmm. The second part ends up being how do you procure that? Again, we we don't own the last mile, so something has to be done to procure that connectivity for you. And there again, we're partnering with a bunch of people that facilitate getting you that last mile single billing, all that kind of stuff for the last mile connectivity piece. Ali, you said quickly. Uh, does that mean latency or does that mean how quickly I can actually just have the connection be functional? It's it's latency. I mean, uh, we want to be as close to you as possible from those regions where you're going to send the majority of your traffic. So when we look at co our coverage model, the way we've designed this, again, taking a lesson out of all the different CDNs who've already done this before and the SASE players who came after that, who built out a bunch of cloud security stacks, mm -hmm. we know what the locations are, where you start out, how do you optimize for a latency and we just get progressively closer to you? So, but I'm assuming then sort of like the SD-WAN model, I'm at a retail location, I get your box and I can pick my ISP, uh, I can get broadband, I can get uh, 5G, I can get even MPLS to, into your network or is there some kind of restriction on what I can use to get to you? Nope, all of that holds true. All of that holds true. Okay, but- So there's a tunnel. That, 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 that last mile, you're not you're not controlling that last mile. That's just what I'm trying to figure out. Yes, we're not controlling that last mile. That okay, last so I mile. use that last mile to get to, I assume, a pop that you have, and that then puts me onto your network. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Got it. And then it exits a pop to the destination. Yep. We're we're in the Equinixes. We're in the digital realties. We've got all those interconnected up, um, and you are able to access the entire backbone that way. Got it. So that last mile then, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was being a little silly saying there's a tunnel, but there's got to be a tunnel of some kind, right? <laughs> Something to get me over that, you know, the, the, the first mile onto your network to the pop, right? 
this is where, you know, a network engineer is going to have a, a theological position as to whether it is a tunnel or not. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> so if I am encapsulating and there is a header with particular information in it, do you or do you not call it a tunnel? Now, a certain school of thought would say, yes, that's a tunnel because it's encapsulation. And a certain school of thought will say, well, no, well, is there a, where does it terminate? What is the boundary? So I, I know of a particular school where it would be, where they'll say, well, where's the you know, end-to-end IPsec relationship? And where's the control plane and data plane and the security association being built? Well, in this kind of model, because it's SDN, the control plane is separate from the data plane, which is separate from the security association layer. So is it a tunnel? You might say, well, just because you have NCAP, it is a tunnel. Therefore, I would say, well, you know what? Okay. <laughs> I guess my point is there's got to be some kind of means of uh, giving yes. your customer privacy to get it from their private network and, and get it into your network, the middle mile. So we got to do something with that data. Yes. And so this is where I'm going to be very specific and say, strictly speaking, you have a tunnel, for lack of a better word from the customer premise to our core that uh-huh. sets up the networked path. But what yeah. it is not is carrying all of your encryption state or your control plane state. So in a way, it is a control plane free, security association free data plane tunnel, if that is a way to describe it. Well, I, I think the distinction you're making is we're not paving the way to have this big mesh of tunnels that we had in SD-WAN, which I'm calling Gen 1. Um, it's just a means to enforce privacy of the data to get it from the customer site into the Graphian network. That's right. It's the, how do I eliminate the control plane problems, which like I don't want to overload the middle mile with all kinds of control plane information. And SDN has shown us how well control plane can be delivered if you separate it from data plane. That's one. But the the thing that we did with SD-WAN that needed to change, especially with all of this peer-to-peer communication, cloud access, all these other things we're connecting into, the thing we didn't originally design SD-WAN for was to decouple the encryption layer, the actual data payload layer from the data plane. So everything became like hub and spoke, more or less evolving DMVPN. Yeah. And we had to decrypt at the hub sites. Even if I needed to create regional meshes, I was creating multiple encrypt decrypt points. And then when policy complexity came in, we were looking at restrictions like how many tunnels and next hops and routes can I tie together to create the traffic flow? I mean, if you think about what ends up happening, I get nowadays, let's say two broadband and LTE and 5G connection. Okay, that's four circuits. Four circuits times two head ends that I'm going to connect to. Okay, that's eight tunnels. All right, now I start meshing. The tunnel count grows and grows and grows. I add in AWS, I add in a colo. And now someone says, well, I'm going to inject a default route from eight colos and two data centers. And I want to optimize to which one I use the default route for. Well, now the default route has how many next hops? <laughs> Just that math starts to get crazy. Um, and that was the, the whole point was that state has to get abstracted away. We're too tightly coupled in terms of our routes to our tunnels, to our next top resolution. And it's messing up the policy landscape. As you mentioned DMVPN uh, and, and I'm a recovering DMVPN administrator. And it was at a small scale. I had three hubs and just, you know, a few dozen sites or something like that. And even that was maddening to, to maintain. Oh. 
It, just the yeah, fact that you yes. passed two. <laughs> I, I know. I, yep. It was a decisions were made. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, on the physical connection that I would have as uh, as a consumer of Graphian, we were talking about it could be a box, it could be a VM. How many physical connections should I have into the Graphian network? Should I have uh, two, like a LTE and a broadband, or what's the what's best practice? Typically, we see two just because cost drives a lot of that behavior, which is, you know, it's easy to justify redundancy for two, but you get diminishing returns as you add more and more in terms of just availability and the cost goes up. The difference shows up in when I am a heavy consumer in terms of I need a lot of bandwidth and I'm not able to get a whole lot of flexibility from all the providers. So this is where then you start seeing three, four types connections, but typically two is still the norm. I think as 5G adoption grows, again, that's a becomes like a philosophical, theological debate as to where 5G is going. But as people consume more and more bandwidth, more connectivity is just going to be a norm. So with well, these multiple uh, mechanisms I can use to reach your system, do I get the same benefits that I get from traditional SD-WAN in that I can you know, use both uh, use both circuits at the same time, load balance across them. If one goes down, one takes over, I can set up policies around performance on which path I want, which traffic to take, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And I think that's, it goes to what Ethan said in the beginning, right? Like a gen two, an evolution of SD-WAN, because now SD-WAN is table stakes. We, we look back of everything we've done in the last 10 years. Now you're expected to have all the SD-WAN functionality in addition to whatever the new evolution you bring. So I can expect then that those SD-WAN goodness uh, in the Gen 2 uh, while shedding some of the complexities of Gen 1 is the idea. That's exactly right. There's an end goal that we're trying to get to, right? And it goes to, I think, we need to rethink of, we broke peer-to-peer connectivity. We broke that pretty badly over all of the VPN stacks that we built. I mean, it's pretty rigid and inflexible. And you know, the moment the tunnel count grows, peer-to-peer has to be the first thing you sacrifice because the tunnels won't scale. Uh, my, and even if the box could, you know, is certified to do 10 gigs of throughput, your control plane is overrun. I can't build any more tunnels. I can't get any more throughput. My route table is maxed out and all the other things that come along with it. So peer-to-peer is the, the first thing we sacrificed when we created all the, the SD-WAN Gen 1, basically any VPN. And what's that meant is as we go forward, why, why we needed this evolution is people don't just go to data centers. The edge network environment is going to have lots of distributed compute. Data is being generated literally anywhere and everywhere. Everyone is connecting into multiple cloud regions. Each cloud provider deploys a new region every other month. Uh, you know, Distributed compute from the cloud providers is showing up. The colos are expanding. And now every enterprise or customer is looking at their network to say, well, I have data that I need to monetize and I need to sell this data somehow. I need to move this data. And it could be arbitrary where it goes. It's not just going to my data center. And all of it comes back to the internet was meant to be peer-to-peer. And our privacy and VPN methods broke peer-to-peer communication. Uh Now, uh, along those lines, Ali, then, uh, we've been talking about this as a very site-to-site kind of network service, but can I onboard end users into this, like like a VPN as a service type of thing? We haven't done that at this point in time, just because that turns into a discussion around clients that you install on your host. 
And that is a, is a whole other battleground, which VPN client, what capabilities. And this, again, we are talking to people who already are in that space, whether it's an antivirus client or it's a VPN client or a ZTNA client, what have you. Because our end goal, again, is we're trying to restore peer-to-peer communication on, on the internet, on like literally open return back to peer-to-peer without losing policy control, without losing security controls. So that's why the metadata is so important. The internet needs to return to peer-to-peer connectivity for the enterprise space. Our consumer network, the internet, the wild internet is, is already that. But what comes with open IP networks that can be DDoSed and scanned and all those kinds of things. So we need a more security policy-driven method, but have true peer-to-peer communication. You mentioned security and so on. Are, is Graphient a SASE service where there's security embedded? We wouldn't classify ourselves as a complete SASE solution just because the security stack now with all of the different things that all the security providers have built is pretty extensive, right? When you think about DLP, CASB, layers and layers of stuff that you get add on. We much rather think of ourselves as let you choose which security vendor you would like to consume security services from. Because again, if I start describing the SASE world, all of those security companies hate the tunnel problem as well. It, it's terrible trying to think about how I'm going to build IPsec connections into them because I'm not allowed to use GRE. And so what do I do? It's a tunnel problem for them too, which is also why a lot of the SASE companies kind of quietly stop using the A in SASE. It's now SSE. Like, yeah, let's not talk about the access because it'll turn into a conversation about IPsec tunnels and no one likes that. But that raises a question then, because you're talking about encrypting my traffic end to end. But if I need to hit uh, a security provider's cloud to run it through my CASB, my next gen firewall, my IPS, et cetera, if I wanted to look at payloads, it has to be decrypted. So are you able to coordinate with them on that handoff? That is exactly what we're working on with them. So we have some select security providers who very actively told us, we hate the IPsec tunnels that we have to build. Can you help them make us make them go away? And so that's exactly what we're working on is to, we as Graphian never want to have your customer data, but we need you to be able to decide who gets to decrypt it should you want to. And so whether it's a security stack, it can get decrypted in their environment. They can see it, inspect it, and send it wherever else it needs to go from there. Okay. And are you using IPsec for your encryption mechanism or TLS or something else? We are using from the IPsec suites because we have to meet standards and mm-hmm. AES-256 GCM, looking at quantum resistant ciphers, uh, all the different NIST approved algorithms. Those are all the things that we are using. Um, we're not doing any experimental stuff right now because we have to follow some standard guidelines here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we are talking IPsec and are you handling keys and certificates for me as my pro- network provider? Yes. And so this is where all the keys um, are stored on HSMs, tamper-proof modules, on devices. And even when you think about virtualized infrastructure, when you think about AWS, we use Nitro TPM there. In Azure, we're using confidential computing infrastructure. So even virtual machines use strong cryptographic key stores. Uh, Even with ESXi, we use the virtual TPMs. So again, key storage, certificate being very thoughtful about how we do this without ever exporting private keys out. 
Let me, let me change topics away from security, Ali. I want to talk about uh, cloud networking, whether we call it multi-cloud networking or hybrid cloud networking, however you want to term it these days. Does Graphient help me there? Absolutely. And this, again, is a consequence of all the lessons we learned. When we started doing SD-WAN towards these multiple cloud regions, tunnel problem manifested very, very rapidly because the VMs there have are hard-capped and how many tunnels they can actually build. So you're a pair of VMs for HA, you're capped at what, 500 v, uh, IPsec connections? And again, you start doing the math, that tunnel count depletes very quickly. So now I need a farm of VMs. Well, now the routing is complicated, so now I need a load balancer to front end those VMs. Now then I need a firewall stack behind it. It became incredibly messy. And then when we had customers say, well, why can't I use a direct connect, a private layer two connection into that? Well, okay, yes, you can get a layer two connection and land it somewhere, but then who's gonna do all the routing for the SD-WAN piece? And then we started to try and do cloud on-ramps and then we ended up spawning more VMs with more tunnels, with more route policies. So this was again, a case of, can I access the clouds without having to spawn farms of VMs to terminate tunnels? And this is for Graphian, it was again, we'll help stitch up the connections into AWS Azure GCP over private paths using places like Equinix, like Packet Fabric and interconnect all those things. And then handle the layer three part as well. The part that gets incredibly complicated. And so when you bring up a site, it's already fully meshed, but it's also meshed to your cloud regions without have having to build all these tunnels. Now, when someone asks me, what about inside the cloud? I'm like, inside the cloud, that is the cloud world. There's all kinds of unique things that are true for the cloud. We are not doing stuff inside the cloud. We will get you to the cloud, but I'm not tinkering with the cloud itself. You know, inside the cloud, you mean like an AWS region to AWS region communication, something like that? Something like that, right? When, yeah. when you're doing VPC to VPC and doing mm -hmm. things inside the cloud. Those constructs are very specialized for the cloud itself. When I'm going AWS to Azure, and I, I, I can transit Graphient there and get, get the benefits of you know, layer three and all that that you said. Exactly. because And that starts to turn into discussions with consultants on cost optimization because you're paying an egress fee somewhere. So you want to see what is the best way to transport one cloud to a different cloud. Is it better to go over a Graphient path because I have a private connection and not, not necessarily paying internet egress fees? Or maybe it's not like that turns into a pure cost discussion. And if I would, how would that traffic flow? You mentioned being in Equinix and you know in other data centers. So if I'm mm -hmm. inside of AWS trying to move traffic to Azure, let's say, and it goes via Equinix, what just just kind of walk me through that. So from an AWS standpoint, imagine AWS to direct connect to a Graphient point in, let's say, Ashburn, Virginia going into Azure East one uh, over an express route. And so you would see one hop through the Graphene network pass through. Via the, the direct connect, uh, et cetera, circuits that I've got with those two providers, I'm gonna be plumbing them into uh, Graphene, if you will. In a, in a way, rather than that, what is actually happening is we're already plumbed in and we're just using your tenant ID to take you over what we have already plumbed in. This is why uh, okay. a lot of the times when people say, well, technically, doesn't that make Graphene a service provider? In a lot of contexts, it does, because we are having to build these kinds of relationships and connections. Hmm. Okay.
Uh, Ali, it has become quickly evident to me that uh, if we were to get into everything that you're doing behind the scenes, this would be about a four and a half hour show and uh, we don't have that kind of time today. <laughs> so one thing I thought would be really fun to do, I know you've got some good customer stories, things that uh, folks have been using Graphient that would help us tie together what we've been talking about for the last 40 minutes or so. So if you would launch into an example for us of someone who's consuming your service and, uh, and how it's worked out for them, that would be great. From a customer standpoint, let's talk about a company we're, we're working with. They're a manufacturing company. They do lots of different things. They've got lots of different lines of business. They, you know, one unit manufactures a certain thing. One manufactures things that fly. One manufactures things that go into the ocean. So lots of different things. But what they are actually bound together as a large entity typically is, they have one IT department, one HR system that has to manage across all these different environments. And as typically ends up happening, this company grows by buying and selling other companies. So there's lots of mergers and acquisitions and that can automatically in a networking mind go straight to IP conflict, address issues. How do I connect all of these things to, to the right application resources? Because my active directory and my DNS server is the same for the whole company. But what if that active directory has an IP conflict with some random system and the company that I just acquired. Do I re-network the whole thing? What do I do? Hmm. So we end up seeing a lot of our customers raise this question of, yes, I have this tunnel problem. It's an operationally painful thing. But this thing, this thing makes that so much worse. Because now I have to figure out how I'm going to create a separate DMZ tunnel environment for this company that I just acquired. And I don't know how long I have to keep and maintain that. How do you create that? This tends to be like the, the most powerful driving use case with a lot of customers who come up and say, please help us with this. So the way the graphene network ends up working out is we'll create a shared services network. But, you know, again, the customer is not having to figure out route leaking and VRF import export, create simple workflows around what's the shared resource and we're going to deconflict you and help all of these different environments access that particular resource that can tell you like the number of NAT use cases I have to deal with, <laughs> just like you can imagine what I have to deal with. But again, for the end user, it solves a lot of their problems. And this is what we are working with the customer around. Multiple segments, companies that have been acquired, accessing shared resources without IP conflict and without having to build separate DMZs and separate IP VPNs. I, I've been grimacing and nodding my head to this problem. I've been in this this space so many times. Every time various of the companies I've supported over the years, oh, we're acquiring so-and-so. The first thing in my head would be, here we go again. It's going to be IP address hell trying to sort this out. What resources do we need on their network? Can I just leak the one slash 24, whatever it was that they need that maybe doesn't overlap with me and not have to do a full exchange, et cetera. It was a nightmare all the time. And the double NAT stuff, you write NAT on the one end and on the other end and then do it bi-directionally. How often does that just not work for random reasons? And you know, have you tried rebooting the firewall? That seems to fix it, you know, and all that stuff. So this is, this is, it seems like it should be a trivial problem, but it's such a real problem that so many people face because IPv6 hasn't taken over the world yet, Ali. <laughs> and if, if you're exactly right, it's the, 
how many gnats do I have to build? And especially when you tell someone, everyone has that resigned look of, well, we haven't, we don't have anything else we can use. Gnat is what we are forced to deal with. And you say IPv6, everyone's like, well, yeah, in an ideal world, well, how do I get there? No one's going to re-IP their network. And it's God helped if you have an application that was written in 1995. Yeah. There is no way you can rewrite that. Uh, we see that all the time. And I guess, I mean, when you IPv6 can also turn into like a whole theological debate, but it turns into, you go into a company, there's applications that are so far dated, no one even knows how they're supposed to be refactored. And you just move them. Everyone talks about lift and shifts into the cloud. Well, sometimes you don't have a choice. And mm. your CIO is telling you to go to cloud, but I have an app that's just written a certain way. What do I do about this? So for us, it just was very operator driven. IP conflict is horrible. Shared services, VPNs are very painful. Can I make that experience even remotely better and give them a choice that they're not struck dealing with like net, net mess? <laughs> Well, a couple of things about the future then, uh, uh, Ali. Uh, one, I, I wanted to get how far along the programmable road you guys have gotten. You mentioned something in passing towards the top of the show along the lines of a developer is going to be able to tell the network what the application needs, and that's going to get coded in. Is that there today? Is that coming? It's The framework is there, and, I, and this is there's more teasing the future. We have spent a huge amount of time trying to make networks application aware. We've put in all kinds of policy engines and DPI engines and this, that, and the other. But eventually, what's the rate of our application growth and the kind of things we're building will require that the applications get a stack to, to interact with the network in a programmable fashion. Why force the network to learn and configure things? The network will publish characteristics and say, you want to use something? Here's an SDK. Program it into, into your header. You know, this will eventually be something that you could do at the Linux kernel level. Here is an API call. And when I send out the data packet out of my interface, I attach this thing because these are the network characteristics I want. The network can start saying, do what you need. Just tell me what you want. I'm not going to try and learn what it is that the behavior is best for you. So if you've got an SDK that I could bake uh, into my code that's running on a Linux box, the packets leaving the Linux box, leaving that network stack would have the metadata baked right into it. It wouldn't have to be encoded at the edge, it sounds like. That's exactly right. Because at a certain point, someone's going to ask me, well, what about IoT? What about users <laughs> in space? What about all these other things? I'm like, yeah, at, at eventually at a certain point, I have to just give you the stack. That's why I don't sell software. I'd sell you a service mm. that allows you to consume a network with certain characteristics. That, that edge, is our, and we already define edge in so many, just like cloud can mean 9,000 different things, the edge can mean equally 9,000 different things. So mm. could be anything. And if it's in the stack, why can't I program the network and the behavior that I want? Man, you guys have to come back for another show or three because uh, there's so many more questions, topics that we could dive into. This is really, really interesting discussion, Ali. Just, just fabulous. Now, if people want to reach out to Graphiant, they want to know more, uh, where would you send them? 
I would tell them, come and schedule a demo. There's a, there's a URL, graphene.com slash schedule hyphen demo. Schedule a demo. Talk to us. Uh, good or bad. You know, people get very passionate. Give us feedback. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want, and we'll go build it. Yeah, if people Excellent. want to have a religious argument with you about uh, tunnels, where should they go for that? <laughs> oh, I, I believe uh, I'm probably opening the, the gates of hell for myself, but find me on Twitter or LinkedIn and I'll get into those religious debates. All right. You asked for it. <laughs> Very good, Ali. This was fantastic. Again, if you want to schedule a demo with Graphian, graphian.com slash schedule hyphen demo. And our thanks to Graphian for sponsoring today's discussion and our extra special thanks to you for listening all the way to the end. You are a most excellent human and we do appreciate you. If you ring up Graphian to learn more about the solution we've been talking about today, make sure to tell them that you heard about them on Heavy Networking. Heavy Networking, of course, is part of the Packet Pushers family of fine podcasts for IT professionals like you. That's right, Packet Pushers is a podcast network, and you can find our entire lineup of shows along with our community blog, newsletter, and 100% free Slack channel all at packetpushers.net. And if you like, you can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can hear us on Spotify and take a minute and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate it. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.